Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Monday, January 29th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is dedicated to prayer, to devotion, to Bible reading, and to Bible study. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ doing wonderful work for the kingdom. I would encourage you to go over there. I will guarantee you, you're going to find something over there you want to you want to listen to, and there's a very good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right, well, we're back in the week, so we're going to be continuing our Bible study in John chapter 17 in the evening segment, and like we do in the morning, we'll do, do our regular morning reading in the scriptures, working our way through the Bible in a year. So let's go ahead and open up like we usually do with the second day morning prayer. It's called God over all. This is from Valley of Vision. Let's pray. O God, all-sufficient, thou hast made and upholdest all things by the power of thy power. I'm sorry, by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away, like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever. God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring in thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives, and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right, morning devotion from Spurgeon's morning and evening. The text for it is from 2 Corinthians 4.18, the things which are not seen. In our Christian pilgrimage, it is well, for the most part, to be looking forward. Forward lies the crown, and onward is the goal, whether it be for hope, for joy, for consolation, or for the inspiring of our love. The future must, after all, be the grand object of the eye of faith. Looking into the future, we see sin cast out, the body of sin and death destroyed, the soul made perfect, and fit to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. Looking further yet, the believer's enlightened eye can see death's river passed, the gloomy stream forded, and the hills of light attained on which standeth the celestial city. He seeth himself enter within the pearly gates, hailed as more than conqueror, crowned by the hand of Christ, embraced in the arms of Jesus glorified with him and made to sit together with him on his throne, even as he has overcome and has sat down with the Father on his throne. The thought of this future may well relieve the darkness of the past and the gloom of the present. The joys of heaven will surely compensate for the sorrows of death. Hush, hush, my doubts. Death is but a narrow stream, and thou shalt soon have forded it. Time, how short. Eternity, how long. Death, how brief. Immortality, how endless. 
methinks I even now eat of Eshkol's clusters, and sip of the well which is within the gate. The road is so, so short. I shall soon be there. When the world my heart is rending, with its heaviest storm of care, my glad thoughts to heaven ascending find a refuge from despair. Faith's bright vision shall sustain me till life's pilgrimage is past. Fears may vex and troubles pain me. I shall reach my home at last. Amen. We definitely need to remember that we are just sojourners here. This is not our home. All right, hang on a minute. I need something to drink here. All right, so our reading for today is Exodus 8 and 9, Matthew 19, verse, verses 13 through 30, Psalm 24, and Proverbs 6, verses 1 through 5. So Exodus 8. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Come to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says Yahweh, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs, and the Nile will swarm with frogs, and they will go up and come into your house, and into your bedroom, and on your bed, and into the houses of your servants, and on your people, and into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. So the frogs will come up on you, and on your people, and on all your servants. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the streams and over the pools, and cause the frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did the same with their secret arts. They caused the frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat Yahweh that he may cause the frogs to depart from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to Yahweh. And Moses said to Pharaoh, May the honor be yours to tell me, when shall I entreat for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you in your houses, that they may remain only in the Nile? Then he said, Tomorrow, so he said, May it be according to your word, that you may know that there is no one like Yahweh our God. And the frogs will depart from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to Yahweh concerning the frogs which he had set upon Pharaoh. So Yahweh did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, the courts, and the fields. So they piled them in heaps, and the land became foul. Then Pharaoh saw that there was relief, and he hardened his heart with firmness and did not listen to them as Yahweh had spoken. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, that it may become gnats throughout through all the land of Egypt. And they did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats though all the, through all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians did the same with their secret arts in order to bring forth gnats, but they could not, so there were gnats on man and beast. And the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened with strength, and he did not listen to them as Yahweh had spoken. And Yahweh said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water, and you shall say to him, Thus says Yahweh, 
Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you do not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you, and on your servants, and on your people, and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will make a distinction for the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of flies will be there, that you may know that I, Yahweh, am in the midst of the land." and i will put a division between my people and your people tomorrow this sign will happen then yahweh did so and there came heavy swarms of flies into the house of pharaoh and the houses of his servants and the land was laid waste because of the swarms of flies in all the land of egypt and pharaoh called for moses and aaron and said go sacrifice to your god within the land but Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we will sacrifice to Yahweh our God what is an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice what is an abomination to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not then stone us? We must go a three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to Yahweh our God as he says to us. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to Yahweh your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I shall entreat Yahweh that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only may Pharaoh not deal deceitfully again in not letting the people go to sacrifice to Yahweh. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated Yahweh. And Yahweh did according to the word of Moses and caused the swarms of flies to depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. Then Pharaoh hardened his heart with firmness this time also, and he did not let the people go. Exodus 9 Then Yahweh said to Moses, Come to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them, behold, the hand of Yahweh will come with a very heavy pestilence on your livestock which are in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, and on the flocks. But Yahweh will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. Yahweh also set a definite time, saying, Tomorrow Yahweh will do this thing in the land. So Yahweh did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened with firmness, and he did not let the people go. Then Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourself handfuls of soot from a kiln, and let Moses toss it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and it will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast through all the land of Egypt. So they took the soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses tossed it toward the sky, and it became boils breaking out with sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. And Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart with strength, and he did not listen to them just as Yahweh had spoken to Moses. And Yahweh said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh, and you shall say to them, Thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues against your heart and amongst your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had sent forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been wiped out from the earth. 
but indeed for this reason I have caused you to stand in order to show you my power, and in order to recount my name through all the earth. Still you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will rain down very heavy hail, such as, such as has not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. So now send, bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety. Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home, the hail will come down on them and they will die. The one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of Yahweh made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. But he, he who did not consider in his heart the word of Yahweh left his servants and his livestock in the field. Now Yahweh said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be hail on all the land of Egypt, on man and on beast, and on every plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and Yahweh gave forth thunder and hail, and fire went down to the earth, and Yahweh rained down hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy, such as had not been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck all that was in the field through all the land of Egypt, from man to beast. The hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron, and said to them, I have sinned this time. Yahweh is the righteous one, and I and my people are the wicked ones. Entreat Yahweh, for God's thunder and hail are too much, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And Moses said to him, As soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to Yahweh. The thunder will cease, and there will be hail no longer, that you may know that the earth is Yahweh's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not fear Yahweh God. Now the flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck down, for they are late ripening. And Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, and spread out his hands to Yahweh. And the thunder and the hail ceased, and rain no longer poured on the earth. But Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased. So he sinned again, and hardened his heart with firmness, he and his servants. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened with strength, and he did not let the sons of Israel go, just as Yahweh had spoken by the hand of Moses. All right, Matthew 19, verses 13 through 30. <clears throat> Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after laying his hands on them, he departed from there. And behold, someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? 
And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left house, houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive 100 times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Psalm 24. A Psalm of David. The earth is Yahweh's as well as its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the mountain of Yahweh, and who may rise in his holy place? He who has innocent hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to worthlessness, and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall lift up a blessing from Yahweh, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Pay heed, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Yahweh, strong and mighty, Yahweh, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift yourselves up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? Yahweh of hosts, he is the King of glory. Selah. Finally, Proverbs 6, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you have become a guarantor for your neighbor, have struck your hands in pledge for a stranger. If you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and badger your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand, and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. I thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I'm very, very grateful to get to do it with you. Um, I would, I continue to pray that this time together helps us all to be more saturated in the scripture as we need to be. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. The prayer from Valley of Vision we're going to close out with is called Christ is All. Let's pray. O lover to the uttermost, may I read the melting of thy heart to the meltings of my heart of thy heart to me, in the manger of thy birth, in the garden of thy agony, in the cross of thy suffering, in the tomb of thy resurrection, in the heaven of thy intercession. Bold in this thought bold in this thought, I defy my adversary, tread down his temptations, resist his schemings, renounce the world, am valiant for truth. Deepen in me a sense of my holy relationship to thee, as spiritual bridegroom, as Jehovah's fellow, as sinner's friend. I think of thy glory and my vileness, thy majesty and my meanness, thy beauty and my deformity, thy purity and my filth, thy righteousness and my iniquity. Thou hast loved me everlastingly, unchangeably. May I love thee as I am loved. Thou hast given thyself for me, may I give myself to thee. Thou hast died for me, may I live to thee. In every moment of my time, in every movement of my mind, in every pulse of my heart, may I never dally with the world and its allurements, but walk by thy side, listen to thy voice, 
be clothed with thy graces and adorned with thy righteousness. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Monday, January 29th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, well, we're going to be getting back into our Bible study in John chapter 17. We're wrapping up, um, and I think we wrap it up this week. It may blend into next week. I'm not sure. Um, wrapping up the end of John 17 is this last section about praying for all believers. But we want to go ahead and get opened up here in... Um, with our prayer, as we've been doing, our opening prayer for uh, our evening segment is coming from At the Throne of Grace. Um, it's a book of prayers from John MacArthur that his children put together. And the one we're doing today is called Contemplating Eternal Life and Joy. And these always lead in with some scripture reading first. So let me go ahead and read this. It's from 1 John 5, 1 through 13. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God whom we, when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that he, that he has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in, in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth revealed in your written word, which testifies to us about your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you also for the testimony of the Holy Spirit who attested to Christ with many miracles and wonders at the dawn of the gospel era. We thank you as well for the audible testimony you gave in the time of Jesus' water baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And above all, we thank you for the blood of Christ, the ultimate proof that Christ always does the things that are pleasing to you. That precious blood is a most satisfactory sacrifice for all the sins of all who, may, who would ever believe these testimonies about Christ. We affirm that all these imp impeccable testimonies are true, and we confess that Christ is indeed the Son of God and the only Savior, and that by believing in him we have eternal life. 
We thank you, O God, that you granted us this eternal life through your mercy. One of the fruits of that gift for us is eternal joy. What amazing love that you sent your Son to sorrow, suffer, and die that we might know joy. How can we thank you enough? You have commanded us to rejoice always, and in every circumstance even our trials are an occasion for rejoicing. Joy is such a delightful duty, and yet we humbly confess that because we are weak and sinful, grumbling and complaining sometimes seem to come more naturally as a response to the issues of life. Forgive us for such a bleak and ungrateful response to the grace you show us each day, and help us even now to be glad participants in heaven's joy. By making joy both a privilege and a duty in our daily lives, and by preparing us for an even greater eternal joy, you show yourself to be a God of gladness and cheer. Though sorrow is an inevitable part of the human experience because of our sin, you meet our sorrow with countless reasons to be grateful and glad, full of hope and full of rejoicing. Our weeping may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. Your mercies likewise are now are new every morning. How gracious and merciful you are to those who are sinful and were once your enemies. We are utterly unworthy, but still you choose to you chose to bless us with so great a salvation. You have turned our mourning into dancing. You loosed our sackcloth and closed us clothed us with gladness. Even in our sorrow we find our way to joy by thinking of your love, your forgiveness, your tender mercies, your sympathy for our weaknesses, and the joy of eternity in your presence. We look forward with glad expectation to that perfect, endless joy that will be ours when we meet you face to face. Fill our hearts even now with heaven, dearest Lord. May we live free of the failures that, that mar our lives and spoil all earthly joy. Lord, lead us out of those things into the place of obedience and faithfulness. We thank you for the promises of your power and your care. In the name of Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen. All right. And our morning devotion, or our evening devotion, I should say, uh, comes from Thomas Watson's uh, Glorifying God. And let's see, for January 29th. The text for it is from Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. We glorify God when we give God the glory of all that we do. When Herod had made an oration, and the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God, not of a man, he took the glory to himself. The text says, Immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms, Acts 12.23. We glorify God when we sacrifice the praise and glory of all to God. Paul said, I labored more abundantly than they all, a speech one would think of pride. But the apostle pulls the crown from his own head and sets it upon the head of free grace. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me, 1 Corinthians 15.10. As Joab when he fought against Rabbah, sent for King David that he might carry away the crown of the victory, 2 Samuel 12, 27-30. So a Christian, when he has gotten power over any corruption or temptation, sends for Christ that he may carry away the crown of the victory. As the silkworm, when weaving her curious work, hides herself under the silk and is not seen, so when we do anything praiseworthy, we must hide ourselves under the veil of humility and transfer the glory of all we have done to God. Let him wear the garland of praise. 
All right. Well, like I said, we're getting back into our study of John chapter 17. And uh, so we've been working through. Um, again, just to, just to summarize real quickly, this prayer is broken into three parts. We see the first five verses being Jesus praying for himself and, and it, more about praying that he would truly glorify God, that he would that, um, you know, declaring that he has that right to grant eternal life and explaining what that eternal life is. And then, um, and then, you know, um, the requirements he meets and then the reverence he deserves. And then we saw him pray for the disciples verses six through verse 19. And again, we saw at the beginning of those verses six through 10, um, he gives he gives us a clear indication of why he knows this prayer will be answered. Now, of course, we can know that the prayer is going to be answered because Jesus is praying in the will of God. I mean, Jesus, um, God incarnate, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, and God are of one will, as they are with the Holy Spirit. They're of one will. They are all in the same will. They they they're not doing anything ad nauseum. You, you, you basically don't get like you drop the three down and they run in three different directions. That, that's not what we're talking about here in any way, shape or form. But we see him make clear there that the reason he knows that, that God will answer this and that he's praying correctly is because these have believed again, he's praying for the disciples, those 11, because they've believed truly believe this isn't a belief it is an intellectual assent we talked about that but they've truly believed that he is the christ the son of god and that they were given to him from the father they were a gift to him they were his inherent his inheritance we are his inheritance so they were given to him but then we saw in the second part of Jesus praying for the disciples. In that case, it's as those whom he is about to leave. The first one was as those whom the father had given him. So we talked about that. Then as those who he's about to leave again, he's about to leave them. Okay. Even though, yes, he's going to be resurrected and he's going to speak for about 40 days with them real quick and all. And that's great. But then he's going to be leaving again permanently. So he's making requests. He makes two key requests here. He requests for spiritual protect, protection for them, and he requests for sanctifying purity for the 11. Okay. So Jesus has prayed that. So then we hit the third part, the third part of this prayer. And this is praying for all believers. Jesus praying for all believers. He's praying for the church. Okay. So, and this is the church out into eternity. Okay. So this first part of this is that they would be presently united in truth. Again, this first part of it, verses 20 through 23, he's praying for unity within the church. He's praying for unity within believers. And I spoke to you before about the fact that um, this unity is not how we think of unity. Uh, the, the, the fact is, well, I, and maybe I say we, maybe we don't, maybe you don't, maybe I don't. But some of the general that this speaks of, um, we, we've watched it. We've watched it within our churches where churches have, um, what was it we read from D.A. Carson? Um, I guess it was, it was Thursday or Friday last week where he talked about that we're not talking about a unity that finds the least common denominator and reduces everything to that, making itself accepting of things that, that Jesus and God clearly call an abomination, clearly call anathema. And, and won't even look on it. Um, you know, sin, 
uh, uniting around sin. And I'm I, I'm going to hurt feelings, but um, gay marriages, trans marriages, um, accepting people um, that are practicing of that in as members of their churches. No, they're your mission field. And the same thing is true for any that are out there. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, and, and this is true. Adulterers, adulterers, serial liars, um, you know, uh, those that, that are that are disrespectful to their father and mother. I mean, those kind of things that they're practicing it. They constantly are doing it. Not people that stumble, but people that are in constant practice of that. Churches accepting that in and acting like it's no big deal when Jesus clearly calls it out. That is not unity. This is clear unity and they're united. And in this first part about it is being united in the truth. So our, our first night last week, Thursday night, we looked at the root of true unity, um, which is belief that root of true unity. Verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, through the word of the apostles, through the new Testament, through the testimony of Jesus Christ, those who believe that's the root of true unity. Then we looked at Jesus request for true unity 21 a, and that, that they may all be one. There's his request. He's requesting for true unity. And we're going to see why we're going to look at why, what that representation of true unity is. Um, this is verses 21 B through 23 a kind of, um, though it kind of skips 21 C a little bit. We'll, we'll see. It's a, kind of a weird mix here. So let me read it to you. John 17 verses 21 B through 23. So we've already dealt with that. They may all be one. That was the request for unity. So let me start here. Verse 21 in B, even as you father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me the glory, which you have given me. I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity. Okay. So honestly, <laughs> you can, I, I, even, even though I know, and I've studied it and I'm, I'm ready for our Bible study tonight. Actually, I was studying it today. So I'm doing, doing this. Well, actually I, I studied that I'm recording this Sunday, but so studying it after I get home from church and, and the prison service, but even reading this, I sit there and having read this before and studied this before I sit there and I go, because that that's really with, without stopping and, and, truly meditating on masticating on this, truly chewing it like a cow chewing its cud. And I'm not trying to be gross there, but really you ever notice that when a cow chews its cud, and I know I've talked about this on the, on the podcast before they chew on it over and over and over and they cycle it in and out of, um, like a pre-stomach and that in it, the idea is they're pulling every bit of nutrient out of it. Well, that's what we've got to do with this. We can't blow through the, if we blow through these verses and through this text, that's when we go because it's like me and you and you and me and they and us. And then they, and it's like, huh? it's, it's like, oop, migraine. Here it comes. Jesus is really not trying to be confusing 
or trying to have a who's on first kind of conversation here. That's not that's not what he's doing. And I'm not trying to make make light of this. It's actually very, very important. This is the representation of true unity that Jesus is trying to trying to lay out here. So let's really look at this. Okay. So the unity that Jesus has been speaking of is like the unity between the father and the son. And I brought that up before. Um, and, and when we started in John well over a year ago, okay. And John one, one, John one, one, going to read it to you in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And at that time I was really clear. So the word we're talking about there is Jesus Christ because he is the word of God. But this middle section, and the word was with God. And we talked about what the Greek meant there. And the Greek meant a, a deep, intense um, um, connection, relationship, a, 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 a very, very tight relationship, a relationship that we almost can't understand. That that kind of intimate relationship, but something beyond what it what we would typically understand. Okay. Um, and not in some kind of perverse way. Okay. It's not that, but it's just, they're that tight. They're, they're that much that they're almost one. Okay. That they're almost one. And in fact, within the Trinity, they are one. Um, but it's three in one. And again, that, that is something that, oh my gosh, you can give your head, yourself a headache trying to, trying to parse out and truly understand the triune God. So I'm, I, I'm, I, we're not running down that rabbit hole today, but again, that's the kind of unity he's talking about. So as the unity between the father and son, that's the pattern of unity. I mean, I mean, what better two perfect beings, two perfect beings being unified there. That, that is our example. I mean, of course that's our example. I mean, shoot. I mean, I mean, I mean, it makes absolute sense when you look at Ephesians five, um, Ephesians 5, 1, that we are to be imitators of God. Okay. Um, Paul even tells us to be imitators of him as he is of Christ. Okay. So, so this is going to be the pattern of it. So Jesus prayer here speaks and through, and this is throughout this prayer. We're going to see pieces throughout this prayer that speak clearly of the five features of unity that the church should imitate. That's the representation of true unity. These are the features that the unity that the church, that the body of Christ should manifest. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to look at it in, in light of the father and son, and then we're going to try to relate that to the church as a whole. So first off, the father and son are united in motive. They're equally committed to the glory of God. John 17, one, very beginning of the prayer. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. They're both seeking the glory of God. I mean, in the father glorifying the son, it glorifies the father, but then the son wants to glorify the father. So they, they're, they're united in motive. Um, again, in this same, in this same chapter, John 17, four and five, I glorified you on the earth, having finished the work, which you have given me to do now, father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory, which I had with you before the world was again, focusing on glorifying God, John 17, verse 24, which we haven't even got to, we'll, we'll get to later in the week, God willing. 
Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Again, like I said, in the Son being glorified, the Father is glorified. Um, back to John seven eighteen, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, so he's speaking of himself here, and the one who sent him, again, it's a capital O, speaking of the Father, so who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. He's making very, very clear clear there where I'm sure he's speaking, if, if I remember right, he's speaking to the religious elite at that point. Um, the, the Hebrew religious elite, he's making clear that if I'm, if I'm speaking from my, from myself, seeking my own glory, that's fine, but I'm seeking the glory of God. Therefore I'm true. And there's no unrighteousness in me, but John 13, 31 through 32. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, so this is, so Judas has left. This is the Last Supper, this is in the upper room, this is the beginning of the upper room discourse. Judas has gone out. Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. So again, it's all about that, that their focus, their their motive here is united. It is to glorify God. And the fact is, we know that. That, you know, um, I, I actually, I think I brought it up um, Friday, probably the chief end of man. Um, the uh, first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and, and enjoy him forever. To glorify God, that is our chief end. Well, they are united in that. But Paul twigs on this. Now, of course, Paul, first Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church. So he's giving them instruction. First Corinthians 10, 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What do I tell you when I leave you every morning after the morning segment that I would implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God? That comes right from first Corinthians 10, 31. That's where I got it from. That's where I'm coming from. That is the united motive of the father and the son in their relationship. And that should be our united motive for the church. That would, that should be our unity that should manifest in our unity that our primary focus is to glorify God. That should be where we're, where we're focusing on. So the next, so the next one, second here, the father and son are united in mission. They share the common goal of redeeming lost sinners and bringing them to eternal life. So salvation, that is their united mission. Again, this chapter, John 17, two through four, and then six, even as you gave him authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having finished the work, which you have given me to do. Therefore, Jesus, having completed all the work to provide for salvation. Verse six, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Again, it's all about redeeming lost sinners and bringing them to eternal life. Verse 18. So 
what we dealt with last week. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. They're going out to redeem lost sinners and bring them to eternal life. And again, I, I, I'm going to say, we are not responsible to save them, but we are the instrumental means God uses to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth so that it can be given to all mankind. So that has to be our mission. The world is our mission field. Again, it, it can become very, very hard in the world we live in um, because we see so much that is against us and so much that is anathema to us, that is cursed to us. But that means it's our mission field. Those that are not saved, they are our mission field. I don't care who they are. They are our mission field, and we need to be out there bringing them the gospel to be about the work that we've been left to provide for the work of the Holy Spirit and redeeming lost sinners and bringing them to eternal life. So we must be united in that mission. Number three, the Father and the Son are united in the truth. John 17, 8. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. He gave them the words of God. Um, John 17, 14, I have given them your words. So we've talked about it before. God doesn't say true things. God is truth. Therefore, what he says is true. So he's the truth. He, he speaks the truth. So Christ is giving them God's word. So Christ is giving them the truth. So they're united in truth. John 14, 10, do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak from myself, but the father abiding in me does his work. Again, making very, very clear that he is bringing the truth of God. Well, that's where the church has to be. Romans 15, five through six. Now may the God of perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's by bringing the truth. Um, the fact is our, our last two messages in our church, we had sanctity of life Sunday, last Sunday. And this Sunday we moved on into, uh, Matthew 13, um, Pastor Jay dealt with verses 10 through 12, which heavily leans on God's sovereignty. It basically leans on, on the, on the, um, on the, uh, doctrine of election, which is a hard topic for, in a lot of churches. It's very, very hard. Um, it was very hard for me. Believe me, I got pulled kicking and streaming, kicking and screaming, not streaming, screaming into understanding and belief in the doctrine of election. So we've had two hard ones in a row, but we persevered. Pastor Jay persevered in bringing the truth. Um, as I've told you, I'm working on right now, um, getting things set up so I can share his message through this podcast, because I believe his message from Sanctity of Life Sunday was so critical and so full of the truth that it's got to get out there. I mean, all of his are, so don't, don't misunderstand that, but that it needs to get out there. We must be united in bringing the truth and the truth of God, not what we feel, not what we think is easy, not what we think this is, um, the culture will accept, but what God says. We must be united in that. 
Number four, the Father and the Son are united in holiness. We see Jesus there as he leads in to, um, or as he's working his way in to part of this praying for the disciples in verse 11 here. He calls him Holy Father. He points out that holiness of the Father. Um, further on down, verse 25, which hopefully we'll get to tomorrow or, or get to later in this week, John 17, 25. He says, O righteous Father. Again, we've talked about holiness. That holiness is a separation from sin, a separation from evil, a set separation um, to purity. Habakkuk 1.13, your eyes are too pure to see evil and you cannot look on trouble. Again, what did I, what did I tell you? What did I point out that Jesus says on the cross? My God, my God, why have, why have you forsaken me? Because God turned his eyes from Jesus because he could not look on him clothed in our sins. That's holy. Isaiah 6, 3, we got to think about it. And one called out to another. So Isaiah's having that vision and, and the, the living creatures there. Um, or does he call them the seraphim? I think Isaiah calls them the seraphim. In Revelation, it talks of the living creatures. Um, but, and one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Again, like I, like I've said before on this podcast, thrice, holy, 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 the, the, the strongest emphasis on an attribute and the only one that is emphasized three times is holy of the attributes of God. So we must be united in holiness. We as the church, Hebrews 7, 26, for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, speaking of Jesus, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Now it's talking separated from sinners. So not contaminated with sin, not that we should, not that we should avoid them as our mission field, but we are not to be of them. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Our walk of sanctification, that should be a walk of progressive holiness. Our walk of sanctification, we should be that we should be growing in holiness constantly. And we as a we as a church, we as the united um as the united body of Christ should be united in that holiness and towards that progression towards more and more holiness be more and more like god and finally the father and son are united in love john 17 24 which hopefully we'll get to later this week father i desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where i am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world for the father loves John 5:20 for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing and the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel John 3:35 the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand Matthew 3:17 this is at his baptism Jesus baptism and behold there was a voice out of the heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased that's not just an honorific my beloved son, he's stating the son that I love. Matthew 17, 5, beginning of the, of this prayer. While he was still speaking, behold, or I'm sorry, Matthew 75, sorry, sorry, messed that up. Matthew 17, 5, this is at um, the transfiguration 
after the trans or at the transfiguration while he was still speaking this peter still speaking behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold a voice out of the cloud said this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased listen to him how clearly that they are united in love the church must be also above all these things colossians 3:14 above all these things put on love which is the perfect bond of unity colossians 2 2 so that their hearts may be encouraged having been held together in love even unto all the wealth of the full assurance of understanding unto the full knowledge of god's mystery that is christ himself john 13 34 and 35 this this lays it out a new commandment i give to you that you love one another even as i have loved you that you also love one another by this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, that, that that's it. Um, that's it right there. And I'm sorry, as goofy as a song as it was, and I'm sorry, I always thought it was a goofy song, but we always had in our Methodist hymnal and it was always pasted into the hymnal, um, was a rendition of they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. That was the chorus for it. But that's what the gospel of John is saying. That's what Jesus is saying right there. First John says the same thing. John says it in first John in that epistle as well. We are unite. We should be united in love. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. These are the, these are the, the, what is it? These are the features of unity that the church should imitate being united in motive, glorying, glorifying God, being united in mission, redeeming lost sinners and bringing them to eternal life, meaning taking them the gospel, being united in truth, being united in holiness and being united in love. Jesus shows it clearly here. And we must model it in our society. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this evening. I thank you for spending this time with me. I, I continue to pray that this time together helps us all grow in our understanding of the scripture um, and continues to shape our walk. So let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to be closing out with the second day evening prayer. It's called Bounty. Let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. 
provide for every exigency, and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.